Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the Movies Podcast for January. Coming up, we look forward to the films we're waiting to see this year. And it's a happy new year and uh, welcome to January's Movies Podcast. Joining us tonight, Steve Withers, Chris McInerney, Matt Jarvis and Cass Harlow. Good evening, guys. Evening, Phil. Hello, evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. Good evening. So as it is January, we've just had the festive season and uh, we've all been catching up with Blu-rays here and there. Uh, we're going to cast our eyes forward to 2013 and look at some of the films that are slated to come out this year and which ones we're really looking forward to. And I'm going to go to Kaz first. Kaz, uh, there are quite a few interesting movies slated for 2013. Which ones have uh, pricked your interest? Well, I'm going to take a bit of a shotgun approach. Um, I'm going to try and do them in chronological, but I, I really don't have a clue about some of them. So starting off in January, you're looking at Django, Tarantino's latest, first foray into Western, uh, taking Jamie Foxx, Leonardo DiCaprio with him for the ride, along with Christopher Waltz from Inglorious Bastards. I mean, it, it looks fun from the trailer. We'll see whether he manages to pull it off, but uh, I am probably getting a little bit fed up with seeing that trailer, so I would like to now see the film itself. Um, uh, going down a more serious route, you've got Lincoln coming out, which I, I had real high hopes for, and and... I think I've still got them. Um, it's uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, and he makes every film he does is he puts everything into it, and he really does look very Lincolnish. Um, but I don't know where it's gone down the Spielberg route of a little bit too much sentimentality and a little bit of a lack of focus. So um, we'll have to see how that turns out. But I I, I am still looking forward to it. Still Day-Lewis. Um, February, uh, I'm going to go with the cheap seats for Die Hard. Yes, uh, I did like Die Hard 4. Yes, I'm probably the only one in the world, but uh, but I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was nothing like the other ones, um, it, but it was nice to have him back and nice to have him Mother stuff Russia. Up. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, Mother Russia. Um, it it looks stupid. But it's got stuff blowing up, and from the rumours, it sounds like it might not be a PG-13, which will be great. Um, uh, later on, we've got Iron Man 3, uh, Shane Black. Pretty much every film, well, every film Shane Black's written uh, has had a sparkling script. And uh, he's writing and directing this was disappointed with Iron Man 2, so this should bring it back. Looks darker, looks more personal. Uh, Iron Man stripped of his armour, back to basics. Looking forward to it. Um, uh, Leftfield, uh, Carano, Children of Men director, is doing... Uh, I'm going to say he's doing Clooney in space. Um, but it looks very interesting. It's called Gravity. Uh, it was pushed back uh, in, in post-production. It was filmed, I think, um, 
several months ago, if not a year ago, and uh, the release date I was think pushed it was back. Actually, filmed um, not, not not 2012, but 2011. Eleven, yeah, yeah. So sorry, yeah, about a year ago, and um, and uh, they pushed it back to get the 3D right in post. Uh, I believe they believed the 3D would look fantastic because it's all effects shots. It's other other than effects shots, it's just people in helmets because it's all shot in space um uh, it's it's supposed to be impressive i'm very much looking forward to it it's got sandra bullock in it i'm still looking forward to it um going down the sci-fi route again we've got elysium which is matt damon neil blomkamp crazy futuristic world matt damon running around with a bald head and a gun and some kind of cybernetic enhancements that's how that's going to turn out, but it looks interesting. Uh, Brad Pitt, World War Z. Uh, he, it's the film that was supposed to be out this Christmas, but because uh, Ghost Protocol did so well for Tom Cruise, they decided Tom Cruise is the man they want for Christmas. So they, they brought forward Jack Reacher to be released uh, in place of World War Z. Well, we were that, that isn't finally... the only reason, though, Kaz. They, they also had massive load of reshoots, like seven weeks of reshoots, which is basically the time it takes to shoot a whole film. So I can only assume this film is in huge trouble. <laughs> yes, I mean, who knows how it's actually gonna turn out? Because it is a big story and it's ambitious story. Um, but I am, I'm interested in seeing it. We're talking floods of zombies if you've yeah, seen the trailer by Mark Foster who screwed nice. up Quantum of Solace so I can't say I'm massively excited at the moment guy can't shoot well, action at all no but still I go back to floods of zombies so uh, it could, uh, it could uh, be was it PG-13 or R-rated though because then again I don't want to see after watching Walking oh, yeah. Dead I want to see gore it's supposed to be PG-13 yeah, then they've got no interest whatsoever you can't do PG-13 zombies it's a joke I, I think well you know you, how many zombie films can you stomach and I can stomach quite a hell of a lot and although I was uh, getting a bit bored by the, the the long gestation of this movie and the problems that it's had um, seeing the footage of that trailer some people don't like it but I thought that tsunami of zombies looked absolutely tremendous and the, uh, I've heard tell that they, they form a human, well, a, a living dead tower climbing over each other to try and reach a helicopter. I don't know. I want to see that. I think it looks pretty yeah. interesting. I mean, you can see where they're going that from that, that flood of zombies that they use to, to get over the wall because they just mm. climb all over each other just to get over that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to see that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not massively anticipated it's just one of those big releases that uh that is probably going to deserve a, a cinema trip because it'll look better that way Brad um, Pitt and, does horror. yes yeah quite i mean he doesn't After really seven. generally he doesn't really do action or horror let alone action horror and let alone blockbusters so this looks this looks interesting um, mm. it, it might not turn out as expected, but you know I'll give it a shot. And uh, last but not least, um, Man of Steel. Uh, I know we haven't heard much about it, haven't seen much about it, but uh, I do love um, him. You know, passing through the sound barrier, that little burst in in the teaser trailer is is enough for me to get excited about this Superman. Yeah, so, it, it could be uh, interesting. I mean, I, I want to see Russell Crowe prancing about in another silly costume because he's done quite a few of those lately. On a bit of a roll with these things, with like Les Mis and the uh, the Man with the Iron Fists. He's a bit of a weirdo in that one, isn't he? With some strange costume uh, faux pas. He's also as fat as Marlon Brando these days. So yeah, could be, good. Could be think, good though. Could be fun. 
I think my only concern with that one is um, there's quite an age difference between um, Clark Kent, between Henry Cavell and Amy Adams, who's playing Lois Lane. There's, what, seven or eight years between them? And I've always sort of seen them as a, as a more similar age, if you like. I think she's probably going to be a bit old for that role, quite honestly. So in the reverse yeah. of what happened on the last Superman film, then, where they had someone way too young playing Lois Lane with um, Kate Bosworth. Yeah. Amy so, Adams, though. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, kal you know, he's, he's an alien, so you don't know how old Superman's supposed to be, do you? I mean, he's, you know... He can look any age, really, can't he? It's, but yeah, basically, you've, you've got David Goyer, you've got um, Christopher Nolan, and, and Zack Snyder. So it's going to be great. Is it? Is now it's Henry Cavill? Is he the first Brit to play Superman as well? Yeah, he's also he's only Brits play superheroes now. You've got a Brit playing Spider Man, a Brit playing Superman, a Brit. Well, a Brit had just played Batman. So oh, and I have to do a quick mention for Pacific Rim. Um, it's uh, supposed to look fantastic, you know, massive, state-of-the-art robot action. Like, I, I, I don't fully grasp the storyline to it, but I'm prepared to go with that. Well, I no think one it's knows kid, it yet, I don't think. Kids controlling giant robots in a big battle. That'll do for me. It's Guillermo del Toro, um, uh, Idris Elba obviously not playing a kid is uh, is uh, suited and booted ready for that action in that uh, it looks like it's going to be epic epic and it's del toro so it's going to look fantastic as well and he's gonna he's gonna live and said it this is not transformers everybody might have big robots in it but it's not transformers god bless yeah, Kaz has mentioned quite a few films there, but I suspect that the big summer movie this year is obviously going to be Man of Steel. I mean, you've got a reboot of Superman. Uh, you've got Christopher Nolan in there. You've got David Goyer, the guys that rebooted uh, Batman. You've got Zack Snyder directing. You know, he, he certainly no, you know is very good at action direction. Um, and we've seen a few bits and pieces. There's been a teaser trailer, uh, which looked interesting. And as, as Kaz mentioned, there's a great shot of Superman going through the sound barrier. Um Apparently, it's going to be. I don't. Know, I don't know if they're taking the same approach that they took with Batman, which was trying to trying to ground it in reality. Clearly, you know, this, <laughs> uh, this is about an alien who flies. No, so there's not no, too much. No. Uh, but they've got an interesting cast. You, you've got, um, you know, basically playing his, his real parents. You've you've got um, Russell Crowe uh, as uh, Jarrell, his father. Uh, I don't actually know the woman playing his mother is uh, not an actress I'm familiar with, to be honest. But then playing his Earthbound parents, you've got Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. I'm quite. Uh, worried that Diane Lane is now uh, playing Superman's mum because I remember when she was an 18 year old hottie. Uh, you've got. Um, well, she could be a super yummy mummy. Well, well, to be fair, she's a total milf and yeah, she's fantastic. She's uh, only 47. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ooh, just within my grasp. Uh, but yeah, you've got uh, Michael Shannon playing General Zod, who, again, a really intense actor who I really like. So it's got an interesting cast. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, I think, is playing. Uh, Perry White, the editor of the Daily Planet. So oh, sweet, definitely, sweet Jesus. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I assume the reason they chose him wasn't because he was black and playing a character called White. Uh, I hope not, anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, so interesting cast, an interesting behind the you know behind the scenes a group of people producing and directing it and writing it. So uh, yeah, I, I think yeah it, it could deliver. Uh, no one knows anything about it yet. There's been a few snippets here and there, but really uh, in terms of plot and. Uh, the look of the film we've got to go on at the moment is a, is a is a quite a, quite a interesting teaser where you saw Superman on a fishing boat and stuff like this. Uh, it looked you mm. know it did look quite realistic you know even though it's about an alien who flies. 
uh, it did have a, an air of reality about it, or a, a really nice looking photography. What so, a good teaser! You didn't really know what, what the hell it was at first. Was it some kind of perfect storm? Because like uh, sort of scenario, this fishing harbour that out in the boats. Then he, then you saw him hitchhiking on the road, and you thought, hang on, that's that's Henry Cavill, isn't it? That, look at that! It, it is. It's Superman, and uh, yeah, I, I'm more your Batman sort of fanatic. Superman for me you know he's indestructible i've always had that that age-old problem with him and yeah, yeah every time i watch a superman movie i fall totally head over heels in love with it unless it's quest for peace obviously then no one can love that movie but christopher Reeve's first two movies are just or, or first movie because they, they were basically and, one and the continuation yeah yeah um were, were superlative i enjoyed superman returns initially but the more I watched it, the the, the less enamoured with it I became. It's got a gigantic plot floor in it. Uh, I mm. mean, a gigantic plot floor, because basically uh, the kid is his. Yeah. Presumably uh, Lois Lane knows that. So at which point is she going to say to him in the film, sorry, when did you rape me? Because when she's yeah. supposed to have got pregnant and not realise it from Superman, it just, you know, that's like the whole film collapses around that really, it's really, really sperm, major plot Steve. point. Super no, I mean, um, no, my point it is, it doesn't glow like kryptonite. You didn't see it coming. It didn't have enough action for me. That that was the thing about it. There was, the, the, it, it, I, I liked the uh, the violence angle. I was, I remember, I reviewed that at the time, and I was quite shocked by the uh, the beating that he took on the reformed island of Kryptonia or whatever, there, whatever the hell he made Lex Luthor calls it. Um, but the beating he took there, that was a bit shocker, you know, for kids in the audience were like literally <gasps> gasping at that and. Um, so yeah, it was a, a weird movie which tried to get emotion, yeah, tried to recapture too, it, the old Reeve magic. It, it was too reverential to the to the Donald yeah, movies. Yeah, didn't rather, really work. How much different do you think this one's going to be from the from the first movie though? Because yeah, it's because yeah, it looks like it's following much the same plot. Well, it's it's, it's a complete reboot, so it's obviously telling the origin story all over again. But um, I, I I don't know. I don't think they're following the plot of Superman one and two or anything like that. Although. I mean, these are classic comic characters that have been around for a long time, long before they ever made the movies. Um, I, th- I think they'll take a lot of shortcuts, obviously. We don't need the whole protracted, you know, child Superman arriving on Earth and then meeting the parents and or the surrogate parents and, you know, moving off to Metropolis. You don't need, to, you don't need all the, the, the doggerel that goes with all this. Because we all know these things. We all know where he came from. We all know what, what he's going to do when he gets well, here. Well, it's true. We do. But do the, do the younger audience know that? Or are they going to make it for the new generation? Which way are they going to go? Oh, we've had Smallville. We've had all of this sort of stuff. You've got to draw the line somewhere with these superhero movies where you've well, had if, constant... if Nolan's involved, if Nolan's involved, it's going to be a non-linear structure, isn't it? Like Batman Begins, where there's going to be flashbacks to his origins. They're going to tell it in a, in a non-linear fashion, I suspect, well, which that, would make sense. That's fine. That's fine. And tell it you know, from an oblique direction. You know, you mentioned gritty, you know, grounded down to air. It'd be interesting to see if they can actually pull that off with a guy who wears you know, patriotic colours and flies through the air. And, you know, has got laser beam well, actually, eyes. And- that's the other thing. His suit looks very different. There's no underpants on the suit this time, um, uh, from what I can tell. Yeah, from uh, the shots that I've seen, it's more like a... It, it looks... Because the little fine well, detail on it, it looks like cast. scales, doesn't it? Like metal scales like on him. Carbon, little, carbon fibre. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. Man symbols. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced by the suit. I think you know, don't mess with you know. There's certain things about Superman that you know are, are set in stone. You know, he's an alien from from Krypton. He flies, and and he wears the suit. And and if you start messing around with any of that stuff, then it's not Superman anymore, is it? 
So let's see if they can combine, you know, the action man heroics and, you know, pure daring do of the Avengers, which really wowed everybody because it did everything you want from a comic book movie ad- adaptation. And let's see if you can bring in, you know, the angst, the emotion and the, 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 the realism to a degree from Batman. You know, and everything's there to, to hopefully make this work. But you want action. You've got a heart, soul, emotion, but you need to have some action too. You know, you know what this guy can do. So let's see him do it. And if Zod's in there, Zod's got the same sort of powers. I, mean, I don't know how this all comes together, but we want some big smackdowns, don't we? We want building as top. Well, as you pointed out, Chris, the big problem with Superman is, of course, that he's indestructible. And therefore, you know, uh, he's never really at much risk. Batman being a real, an ordinary man, effectively, but with some gadgets, you know, was always in danger of dying. Superman exactly. rarely is, unless he's facing another Kryptonian who's got equal powers like General Zod. So, yeah, it's, it's always a big problem with uh, with Superman. It's trying to find a kind of viable villain that's actually going to work um, and a plot where he's genuinely in danger. You need things like Kryptonite. Uh, well, the thing is, it's, it's worked in the comic books. It's worked in the comics for like how many years? 60, <laughs> yeah, 70 years, 70, whatever. 80 years. You know, you know. So he's always... <laughs> novels nowadays he's fighting all sorts of different things all magic all around the, the cosmos though isn't it so i don't know <laughs> are we going to miss lex luther no he's been overdone played to death in the movies to be honest i'm inclined to agree with you on that yeah yeah i think so yeah i mean they need to uh, uh, you know, basically look at the the well five superman movies so far i think lex luther's a villain in four of them so uh you really need some more <laughs> Uh, Superman villains. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of them in the in the canon of Superman stories. So let's start. I mean, the same way that Batman Begins began with, um, sorry, no pun intended, uh, used uh, Ra's al Ghul and uh, the Scarecrow, neither of whom had been villains in any of the previous movies. So hopefully they'll they'll take the same approach with Man of Steel, and uh, you know, and try and do things that are different from the, particularly from the Donner movies, which you know you really need to move away from that. Yeah. Are, are we not at a risk of just overdoing the whole comic book thing? I mean, the last, well the last five, stage, six, seven years. <laughs> I was having this conversation recently with. I have no interest whatsoever. No interest whatsoever. I, uh, I there's some of, some movies that we have had, which I'll put my hand up and say they, are, they have been great movies, like the, like the recent Batman movies. But really, do we need another super superhero movie? Well, they sell, don't they, Phil? I mean, you look at the what was, what was the biggest movie uh, this year? Sorry, not this year. Biggest movie last year uh, was uh, Avengers. Yeah. Avengers. Yes. By country mile, so clearly no, comic book people love sell. it. Yeah, people love it. Uh, and yeah. and when you're when you're looking at budgets that are two hundred to two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars to make a movie, you need a built-in audience. You need to know how it's going to sell, otherwise you're going to end up with a John Carter on your hands. And and basically, comic books tend to have a built-in audience, uh, which has been proved by the way that 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 um, Marvel are very cleverly built up to the Avengers by using individual movies for Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and Thor and Captain America and then bringing them together and it paid off gangbusters. You know, I mean, $1.5 billion from one movie. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that well, studios dream of. Yeah, so, but you, you, know, see, but, but you see, that's that's then the problem, isn't it? Because they're all, uh, movie studios are only going to go after the buck. They're only yeah, going yeah. to go after the money. And yes, I know it's an industry and they have to make a profit and all the rest of it, but it just seems to me that uh, there's too many superhero movies just because they're going to make money and there's not a lot of originality out there. Or am there's I no wrong? originality anymore, Phil. I was trying to put together a list of films looking forward to coming out this year that aren't sequels, franchises, uh, comic book movies, or based upon some board game. And frankly, uh, it's difficult. I mean, the, I mean, I'm looking forward to Gravity by Alfonso Cuarón because at least it's an original, you know, screenplay and film. But so much of the stuff that's being made now is just franchise fodder because. Mm. 
studios are terrified of losing a load of money. Uh, and you need a film that's going to have, it's got to have a built-in uh, franchise, some kind of a built-in audience, a big name star, maybe you can open. If you don't open on that Friday night, you're dead. <laughs> Basically, you've got one weekend to make that film play. Uh, you need something to make it play that first weekend. So what, what, what's going to be big this year? Catching Fire is going to be huge because The Hunger Games was massive last year. Got a built-in audience of teens who can't wait to see the next part, guaranteed. Um, Man of Steel is actually a bit of a risk because the last Superman film, uh, Superman Returns, didn't actually do very well um, and cost a ton of money to make because it was in development for so long. So again, Man of Steel, a little bit of a risk, but I think the fact that they've got Christopher Nolan behind it is going to help. Um, you know, you've got the Hobbit second part, well, that's going to make a ton of money. But, you know, unless you've got some kind of, I mean, Iron Man 3, that'll do well off the back of Avengers, even though Iron Man 2, I think as Kaz mentioned earlier, isn't actually, wasn't actually very good. But, uh, you know, the problem is that we're dealing with films now where the budgets are so vast that, uh, you know, one bomb is, is, is a big problem. Well, yeah, whole, you know, we're, we're, we're complaining about comic book stuff. I don't think there's enough Star Trek movies. There you go. How's that for a link? Star Trek Into Darkness. Not completely sure about that title personally, but I am really looking forward to Star Trek Into Darkness because I thought that J.J. Uh, Abrams did a fantastic job with the Star Trek reboot. Um, against all the odds, I think he delivered a really good movie. It was fantastic fun. It had comedy, it had effects, it had lots and lots of um, you know villainy and great camaraderie between the crew. I mean, you, you've got to know these guys who you've thought you've, you've known for you know decades now. How can they reboot these people? But they did it quite successfully. Great cast was in there. Uh, it was top-notch entertainment from start to finish. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And yet, when it came out on Blu-ray, I watched it once and I haven't gone back to it. And even though I, I loved it at the time and this film is going to be coming out now, as you said, it's got a bit of a naff title. I'm not enamoured with that one myself. I don't know too much about the plot. I don't think too much has been leaked, really, has it? Little bits of casting here, there, and everywhere. Benedict Cumberbatch is in it, isn't he? Sherlock. Um, and I don't know who else. But, I, I, you know, it's it's on the back burner, as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure I'm going to love it when, it, when, I, when I do see it. But at the moment, yeah. Yeah, on I, the way. I've, I've got to say, as a reboot, it had to work with the characters. If the characters hadn't worked, I don't think the, I think it would have been dead. And and they had to broaden the appeal as well. I mean, they had to aim it at the, you know, the thousands and millions of trekkies and trekkers out there. But they also had to get another audience in, a younger audience in. And I think he managed to do that with the first film. And and I forgot how good the first film was. It was on. Uh, the TV the other night there when I was flicking through and I actually sat and watched a, about an hour's worth of it uh, again and um, I really think he nailed the first film. I thought I thought it was a franchise movie, a sci-fi movie, but he made it uh, accessible. And and the reason it was accessible was I think they got the casting spot on and I think the interplay between the characters, you want to see more of that, I think. Well, certainly I do. I want to see more of that development uh, we we know what the friendship is like later in life because we've seen the original movies. Um, they've been clever. They've changed the timeline, so they don't have to worry about you know things that have gone from the TV series and the movies that have gone in the past. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's the only movie in terms of franchise movie, a big movie that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, Chris Pine's good good value always, and uh, Carl Urban. Brilliant. So the, the, the banter was there between the two and the, the camaraderie was there. Yeah, the big hands bit when he has the reactions <laughs> to the injection. That was that, that was hysterical, that. And lots of the references like the Kobayashi Maru and all that. You know, it, yeah, you, you're quite right. You nailed, you nailed everything for the, the major fans, the Trekkies or Trekkers, as they like to be called now. And, uh, and as you say, brought a new audience in. 
So that's possibly what the gambit is going to be with Man of Steel as well. Appeal to the, the masses who know the stuff and know the um, the Superman lore, but also appeal to the new crowd as well. I mean, Phil's made the point, and it's it's very valid that the, that the films coming out in 2013 and most years these days seem to be dominated by franchises, by uh, comic book movies, by adaptations, old TV shows being turned into films, anything where the studios think they can find some kind of built-in audience. And also, because of the costs involved and the risks, you know, they don't want to make anything, they, they have to reach the widest target audience possible. You know, you, you, that's why so many films have to be a PG-13, because they don't want to limit their audience, they need to make enough money in that opening weekend, they need to make you know, the, the money, they've got to hit, hit as wider demographic as possible. Um, and so movies have become uh, repetitive and uh, and safe, and they don't want to re- insult anybody. They don't want to offend anyone. And so the only really good stuff being made now is not at the cinema. The cinema is terrible, really. Well, well, you're looking. You have to go to TV, HBO, and, and state and studio, um, other TV companies like that are the people that are producing the kind of the edgy um, adult fare that that pushes boundaries and taboos. Well, and the movies Steve, are just some of yes. the things I'm looking forward to this year. They prove your point and then become an exception to it as well because they're remakes of accepted genre classics, but they're still going to push boundaries. Now, the one I'm looking forward to most of all is The Evil Dead, um, but you've also got a remake of Carrie and, and a remake of Maniac as well. You know, uh, So that's two extreme um, graphic video nasties, both of which you know really ran the, the, the gamut of uh, effects and their taboo-breaking material in their time, Evil Dead and Maniac, obviously. And what the great thing about the, the remakes are, the Evil Dead especially, it's endorsed by Sam Raimi, Robert Tapper, and Bruce Campbell, Bruce the Chin Campbell. Um, they always wanted to get another sequel out, another movie, but that was getting you know further out of their grasp all the time. And then this complete unknown, and I forgot the guy's name now, um, I think his name's Fede Alvarez or something, um, came up with a script idea for a remake of the of the original Evil Dead, uh, taking an unusual angle on it, which they fell immediately in, in love with. It kept all the gore, it kept the demonology, but it gave it a new twist. Um, the, 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 the comedy slapstick stuff wasn't in there at all. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it's exceptionally disturbing. Um, and apparently the film follows that suit. So they're not afraid in this particular case to go to extremes. Okay, they're remaking you know, an acknowledged classic, but okay, I'll make an exception in this case because it does appear that they're going to do something updated and in the same vein, but you know, they're not going to pander to the PG-13. Chris, can you yeah. really do a remake of, uh, of um, The Evil Dead after Cabin in the Woods last year, which basically lampooned the whole Cabin in the Woods concept in the first place? Well, I'm not a big fan of Cabin in the Woods. Um, you know, I saw the, the twists a mile away. Uh, the film sat on the shelf for quite some time. But there's always a... I mean, breaking the meta wall, yeah, and the whole media satire ver- variation, that's been done to death before anyway. Um, and I admire, you know, what they did with it. I didn't think it was particularly scary or even that funny. Certainly wasn't even that gory or that clever. But it was entertainment. This... I like extreme cinema. I like, you know, the original Evil Dead. People tend to forget this. When that first came out, that was actually a groundbreaking, revolutionary shocker. People were genuinely, they were sick. They were terrified. Now we look back on it with fondness and nostalgia and we laugh at it. It's the, the, the ineptitude of some of the effects. And it is a black comedy. It's very funny. This version is not a comedy, a black comedy or a satire or a splat stick um, film in any way, shape or form. It goes for broke. Now, I'm only basing this on what I've read from Sam Raimi, um, 
you know, Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell. But you know, I kind of trust these guys. This is their baby. They wanted to try and do another movie, but could never really get off the ground. I find that hard to believe that he couldn't get off the ground. But, you know, two sequels came out to it, both of which were increasingly more comedic. But the second one was great, great movie in, in any every single department. It's a it's a classic, I think. But uh, the third one was far more silly and fantastical and stupid. But this goes back to its roots as being the very dark, very sinister, psychotic. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how far it's going to go. But apparently it goes extremely far. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Now, you've got Maniac as well. Now, Joe Spinell made that character who was a psychotic uh, rapist come um, scalpist you know, preying on women in New York. And it's a very seedy, dirty, disgusting, nauseating, upsetting, harrowing movie. It's not um, very good, Chris. I've seen it and it's a bit, un- it's just unpleasant. It's massively unpleasant. It's the film that Tom Savini tried, one, one of two films that Tom Savini tried to get his name removed from. But, you know, in the end, it's become an underground classic of, you know, of its own genre. I went through a phase where I hated it and then kind of came to respect it and now quite like the movie. And of course, in the in the remake now, which has played at festivals well last year, but we haven't actually seen. I've not seen it yet. Anyway, Elijah Wood plays the Joe Spinell character, and that's a real turn up for the books as far as I'm concerned. I know after Frodo, he, he tried to become a, you know a, a hooligan on the on the football terraces, and I'm sure he did something else a bit weird. He played but, a disturbing killer in Sin City. In Sin City, that's yeah, of course he did. But now he's playing there uh, the Joe Spinell scalpist, and apparently. It, it may not be quite as graphic, but it, it, it is very upsetting from what I've heard. And people who are fans of the original movie say this one really does do it justice. And it goes off on a different tangent again. So, I mean, if you're going to remake something, you know, you've got to, you've got to throw something new into the mix. You've got, to, you've got to do something different with it. Otherwise, what the hell's the point? Don't just remake it frame for frame. But uh, as we've seen with like, remakes of Psycho and some other stuff like frame for frame. But, you know, this one goes, again, a different direction. And again, goes for broke and is guaranteed and determined to upset you. Well, I'm quite happy with that because I like stuff like that. Uh, the other one, of course, is Carrie. And you've got Chloe, what's her name? Chloe, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz. Moretz. Yeah. Now, this one I've got some doubts about. But apparently there's quite a good, uh, it's a female director. And I've forgotten her name, but she's done some pretty well-received, uh, critically lauded, serious Kimberly, stuff. Kimberly Pierce. Kimberly well Pierce. done. Thank you. I don't know what she's done, though. She made, boys don't, she made Boys Don't Cry. Right. Was that good? Well, um, see yeah, yes, of course I've seen it. It's, it's the one that um, Hilary Swank won the Oscar for the first time, playing a hmm. girl who pretends to be a guy. Right. Okay, well, so there's already a good pedigree for this, isn't there? I mean, Brian De Palma's original, uh, it's a pop boiler for, for a lot of the time, but it's got some standout shocks to it as well. Uh, and it does push a few boundaries, Um the opening sequence in the shower room, for for, for example. Uh, this one, I don't know. I, I, I can't get my head around a remake of Carrie for some reason. There was a really insipid sequel to Carrie. I don't know if anyone remembers that one from a few years ago. Which <laughs> Do you remember was, the musical, the stage musical? Bloody Carrie. awful. No, I don't. There was a stage musical, Carrie. It closed after about two weeks. It's currently it's still renowned as being the biggest money loser in um, the history of um, Broadway. Dear yeah. God. Can you imagine a musical of Carrie? <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> Did they do a, tra- a trick at the end by, you know, uh, 
all the other the prom doors get slammed shut and all that, and no one can get out. They slam all the um, the theatre doors as well. I mean, <laughs> any kind of like you know, that was just to keep the keep William keep Castle the style gimmicks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but there's well there's three which well two certainly which promise to go you know uh, quite extreme which which in this day and age is still you know, a rarity when we're talking about remakes reboots reimaginings and, and the comic book stuff and the PG thirteen stuff um, but another film which it's not a remake it's a continuation and it's a long long awaited continuation I don't know when it's coming out but it's Mad Max 4 or Mad Max Fury Road with Tom Hardy, the great Tom Hardy taking on the role of, uh, of Mad Max you know, um, and you've got Charlize Theron in there with a shaved head and having looked at numerous stills of this movie uh, George Miller once again is directing it all in the outback so you haven't moved to copious um, green screens and you know, you know CG backdrops and all that, you're going to be out on these dusty highways causing complete in-camera full stuntman mayhem uh, I'm God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a massive fan to, of the original three. Go on. I hate to break it to you, but it's now slated for a 2014 release. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it slipped, mate. <laughs> oh no! That's never a good sign. <laughs> That's what we're looking forward to, guys, coming up at the cinema. But I, I guess Blu-rays. I mean. Uh, we can't go too far ahead because most Blu-ray release slates are only about three or four months in advance. Um, but we do know what's coming out, Chris, because you've done a list. So tell us. At the time of recording, what's about to drop on us is Dread 3D. Um, yeah, which can't should wait be, that. should be truly, truly awesome. Uh, let, let, let's hope it lives up to our expectations. It was great at the cinema. 3D, was, I thought, was sublime and, and, and wonderfully well done. So hopefully it, uh, it translates well to disc. Uh, on a great movie sadly the the bloody thing didn't make any money it reached number one in the uk for an 18 certificate movie um from a comic book hero which we all think everyone knows about but not everybody does and it went down a storm for about a week and we filled the forums with all the uh, i reviewed it and we, we, everyone i know that a lot of us here saw it and all adored it we've talked about it numerous times and the film went stateside and completely disappeared Nobody bothered to see it. And yet American forums were rife with, you know, they couldn't wait to see this movie because they'd read all our reviews and what we were saying about it. And yet still, the film completely flopped. And we know how much it needed to make a lot of money before a sequel could be greenlit. Um, and we still don't know if it's made enough to perhaps warrant one. But, you know, the Blu-ray sales hopefully will um, garner some more towards it. Uh, but it's got a, a tremendous movie. Uh, and, you know, Hopefully it does the bit on blue. Um, so what you're I'll, saying is we all need to rush out and buy it so they make the sequel. Please do, if only for my sake, because I want to see some more of this. Um, I think it will. I think I get a part two. I think there'll be a, the second one. But I hope they don't go the route we've just talked about, uh, trying to get bums on seats. They go to PG-13. If they wuss out on this now, uh, then now my faith in, in Hollywood, which is shaky at the best of times, will be completely eroded. Anyway, anyway, uh, beyond that, I've not got a great deal uh, to, to mention, and they're, they're all kind of like uh, my things. They're all Chris Mack style movies, uh, but we're, we're finally going to get a properly remastered and transfer high def transfer for the Fog. John Carpenter is the Fog. We've had a very exceptionally lousy version put out in the UK, uh, which some people have cited as being nothing more than a, a DVD upscale. I've got it, and it looks atrocious. 
Um, so there's no high def quality to that to that disc whatsoever. Yeah, I've got it too, and I, I watched it a few couple of it, months ago. It's it, pretty ropey, shoddy, isn't it? Um, but this is meant this is meant to be, you know, the bee's knees. Uh, beyond that, we've got John Carpenter's Chris Christine as well. Sadly, that's only coming out via Twilight Time, which some people might know that they only put out very limited runs of these movies. So you've got to be quick to snap it up. Um, but, you know, barring the, the one travesty with Night of the Living Dead, Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead, which came out sort of the back end, the back quarter of 2012, where they'd retimed it entirely blue, uh, caused massive controversy uh, from all the people, all the 3,000 people that picked it up. Um, and hopefully they don't, they don't make any more manglings with this one. Um, we've also got another, another reprieved video nasty, the burning Cropsy, the, uh, the camp counselor in the uh, sort of Friday the 13th style summer camp. The guy goes around with the garden shears, sniffing fingers off and ripping heads off. And oh, it's frightening. You know, all these slasher movies, they were 10 a penny during the early 80s. And most of them were just a, a catalogue, an assembly line of atrocities committed on, you know, teenagers who were having it off in the woods. You know, not, not not a bad spare time to have and, a and your problem is <laughs> uh, well they, they, they were never scary and they often were cut down to ribbons this is going to be fully uncut and the film of course was actually genuinely frightening it's, it's one one of the better ones uh, I, I can't wait for that uh we are have this is a guilty pleasure of mine but the incredible melting man anyone remember that one yeah yeah in the I'm, late 70s i'm really dying to see that Again. Rick, Rick yes. Baker did the effects for it, and, and you know, for the time, they're really good. This is a guy who comes back from space. Uh, he goes, he goes on a, I don't know, some ridiculous space jaunt around the rings of Saturn, and when he comes back, his mate's been killed, and he's got this strange melting disease. Now, when he begins to melt, he has a strange craving to eat brains. He goes on the run. Well, bits of him go on the run and then attack all and sundry. He's got some... It was only a 50... It was a double A at the time, released with um, the Deadly Bees, which was a really naff British cokey crap <laughs> that was shocker. Um, but kind of a melting man, really, really... Uh, I loved it. It's badly acted, but the effects are great. As a marvellous decapitation in it as well, and some gratuitous nudity just for the sake of it. But there you go, great, great stuff. Uh, Hammer's Horror of Dracula. This has been long in gestation because they they just found well about twelve months, eighteen months ago, they found bits of the uh, lost footage of Dracula's demise at the end of the movie, where he's melting in the sunlight and crumbling apart, claws his own face apart. They found it in some Japanese vault somewhere, and finally they've uh, managed to you know it, the film has played. Um, a certain festivals and special screenings and gone down an absolute storm Well, it gets its Blu-ray debut next year um, Hammer have released quite a few uh, Hammer oh, obviously they have their own back catalogue Studio Canal have been releasing them Lionsgate did Curse of Frankenstein for them as well uh, and by and large 90% of these titles have looked and sounded tremendous on disc as well with a good slew of extras so that, that's, a, that's a flagship for them that one so can't wait for that but Got to say, guilty pleasure par excellence, and no one's going to doubt me on this one, Life Force. And that's yes. Toby Hooper's Life Force. A complete car crash of a film. It's based on Colin Wilson's early novel, about, which was originally called Space Vampires. Very wordy, not much action in it. People were getting possessed by these vampires, and it was a kind of pseudo-scientific but come gothic romance. Didn't really work, as far as I was concerned. The movie completely steamrolls over that 
you have a joint American uh, and British space flight goes into the tail of Halley's Comet, uh, finds these strange nude space vampires locked in this <laughs> capsule. One's female, played by Matilda, Matilda May. May. <laughs> See, now already people, a lot of people who are hearing this right now are just uh, now oozing with... Um, teenage nostalgia because, <laughs> because when they bring this thing back to Earth uh, her and her two male cohorts she awakens, goes on the rampage sucking the life force out of anyone who gets near, near to her she doesn't wear any clothes but, in this film as Steve has just quite rightly said she spends the entire movie completely nude, full frontal and she's absolutely <laughs> adorable the film is a complete mess but it's so downright enjoyable. It's off its cake. You've got um oh I've forgotten the guy's name. No, he played Scooper in um oh I've forgotten the show as well. <laughs> oh like an old seventies kids show, what was it called? The Double Deckers. He played a lad called Scooper. Well he now plays an oh what is it? what is his name? He plays an SAS captain in this one. Running around shooting the zombified London populace through the head, you know, Tom Savini, George Romero style. You've got gargoyles from space you've got patrick stewart getting possessed by this evil presence and then having to snog believe it or not um australian mm, b-movie hero steve rails back you've got uh helicopters crashing you've got frank finley's in there as well talking complete and utter gobbledygook about stabbing vampires not in the heart but just below the heart because that's the myth got it wrong you know it's just, it's off its cake. It's a complete wreck of a film, but so bloody enjoyable. Effects ridden. Was it ILM did the effects? I can't quite remember. No, it wasn't ILM. <laughs> but you yeah, have, like, the effects are not good. <laughs> but the, but they're showy, aren't they? You've, you've got the, the underground gets festooned with exploding bodies. Double-deckers explode all over the place. You've got the, uh, this, this strange alien ship, which is like 100 miles long or something, in geostationary orbit right above London. <laughs> it's, it's just quite enjoyable the that they trash London here, which is always quite good fun. Because it's the, not often London that gets a kicking. So. Exactly. Uh, the, there's two versions of the film, though. One runs about 15 minutes longer. Now, that version's available on DVD, um, but I'm not sure at this moment which version we're getting on, on Blu-ray. Hopefully you've got a choice. You know, The extended version doesn't add a a great deal of gore or nudity it's more talky stuff like but you know it's a bloody entertaining film <laughs> for all for all the wrong but right reasons <laughs> nudity yeah. and zombies <laughs> I, I, actually I, i'll just finish off with one film i'm looking forward to which is a uh probably not no one's going to agree with me here but it opens it's just opening now in january and that's uh the film version of les miserables uh which has uh got hugh jackman and um russell crowe and also um, Anne Hathaway, who I've got to say is a talented young lady. And I've seen the trailer where she is having her head shaved while singing uh, I Dreamed a Dream. And they, they sang live on set. So everything's actually sung live. It's not, uh, you know, not just lip syncing to a playback. Um, and I, I'm pretty much going to go out of limb here and say that on that performance alone, she's going to win the Best Supporting a Actress Oscar. It but you've also got to watch. Amanda, Alien Face, Seyfried, and... Elena, just complete alien Bonham Carter. Uh, ooh, I don't know. I, I've seen the trailer too, and I, I actually was quite smitten with it, but I have seen the stage show. Uh, my mum's an actress, and she got us tickets to go and see what... Oh, God, I don't even know who the big stars were, but it was she made a big thing about this. You've got to come and see this show. And she spent basically 
I think three months of her life watching this show every single night. Adores it. Every time you go to their house, she's playing the bloody music. Got a DVD version of it there, and it's oh god. But I must admit, I hated it. I absolutely hate it. I could not see what everyone was getting so worked up about. Les Mis, oh, it's the best thing. It was absolute, oh, S-H-I-T, as far as I was concerned. I was bored rigid. I wasn't moved by any of it. Um, yeah, everyone was performing you know, their parts exceptionally well. But I just the story did not grip me in the least. And I have that horrible fear that I was smitten by the trailer for this. And I don't want to go in there and just get that feeling all over again. Like, oh, this is absolutely dead. But I don't know. I don't know. You've got Hugh Jackman. You've got Russell Crowe. You've got Russell Crowe singing as well. He can sing. Jackman's unbelievably well, talented. So, uh, you know, it's got, it's got an interesting cast. And it's Tom Hooper directing, who obviously won the Oscar for two years ago for um, The King's Speech. Uh, it's got a, I mean, a fact that, bizarrely, because it, it opened in, in America on Christmas Day. And they were shooting uh, some pickup shots in Bath uh, just in November. So obviously doing some very last minute stuff on that. But uh, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, it looks great in the trailer. It's got a bit, like we were talking about earlier, it's got a built-in audience, massive load of Les Mis fans out there. Um, it's the kind of thing the Academy eats up with a spoon. They love a good musical. Oh, yeah. So uh, I've got a feeling it's going to do well. Um, and uh, and by well, I mean do well in terms of um, the Academy Awards. What on earth is Sasha Baron Cohen doing in it? He's playing the uh, the innkeeper. Blimey! And and his wife, the innkeeper's wife, is um, uh, is, is Helena Bonham Carter. So they're kind of comedy, the comedy relief characters in it, which makes sense. And I know that they can both sing. So sounds a little bit like um, Sweeney Todd then. <laughs> well, yeah, it, they they um, <laughs> yes. they were both they were both in that playing somewhat similar. Sort well, the problem with Sweeney Todd is is and and to a certain extent, you're right. The problem with Les Rab for me is there's no toe tapping songs I can sing along to. I mean, I can't name mm. one one song. I think the only song I can remember from Sweeney Todd is Worst Pies in London. I can't name any of the songs. from. I mean, I and, and with Les Mis, I, I Dreamed a Dream is anyone I, I can remember. I, I like the soundtrack to um, Sweeney Todd. And I love the movie as well. I thought that was really, really good. Um, blackly humorous and amazingly moving as well. And quite atmospheric. I, I loved gory. it. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um I can't remember any of the songs from either, but I know I love them. I've got the soundtrack. It's over. It's over behind me in this rack somewhere. But um, yeah, I like that. But Les Mis, oh, I dreamed a dream. That is this the one that Subo sang? Yes. <laughs> well, oh dear. <laughs> this, I, there's no way I'm going to take this seriously. Oh God, you should get air in it. She's she's magic. I think Russell Crowe's even fatter than she is. Um, but, oh, no, no. I, I think I've just taught myself out of it now. No. It ain't going to happen. Okay, well, on that controversial note, we need to end the podcast. We've run out of time yet again. Uh, so my thanks to the guys for this evening's chat and what we're looking forward to this year. I'm sure we're going to cover all these films in more detail as and when we get to see them as the year progresses so my thanks to steve matt chris and kaz cheers Phil. thank you cheers cheers guys and this is phil hinton saying thanks for listening and we'll see you again in february the av podcast was presented by phil hinton original music by andrew bassett and richard cosgrove 
The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.